So most of you probably know me as John Raz, which Raz is not actually my name. It's actually a nickname. You know, some of you might be shocked. Like, oh my God. I had friends of mine. I had a friend for, I think, 10 years. And you heard me saying that Raz is a nickname. He's like, what, you're kidding me, right? And I was like, no, my last name is actually Laframboise. You know, if you're French, you know what that means. If you're not French, I'll tell you. It literally means the raspberry. Not just raspberry, the raspberry. That's an important part. You know, it means the raspberry. So I got sick and tired of people butchering my last name. And I had this pastor introduce me one time as John Laframbobo. <laughs> this was during Lakeland, too. You know, and then, uh, and then I had another pastor. Same night, the second night, pastor introduces me again. He's all apologetic, you know, and he, he learned how to spell my name phonetically. So he's practicing, you know, and he, uh, he practiced introducing my name all night long. And then he, uh, he, he runs it by me first, you know, and he did a really good job. And then the next night, he introduces me, and he goes, and, uh, and help me welcome John La Flaming Bras. <laughs> and I was like, that's not okay. You know, so I sat in my chair, and I refused to get up. I was like, ah, I'm not going anywhere. You know, and uh, so if we start going by John Raz, you know, but then uh, people start writing checks, wanted to bless the ministry, you know, and just bless me and my family, and start writing checks to John Raz. And I was like, I can't cash these. You know, and I didn't want to forge signatures, you know, so I had to go back to the person. Hey, I, I, sorry, you know, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, so don't check to John Raz, please. <laughs> but anyways, so uh, as I was praying and getting ready to come here, you know, this whole trip, you know, I was asking God, I was like, God, what is it, you know, that what are you saying over the lower mainland, British Columbia? And, and I realized something really important about BC. A lot of major uh, prophetic and influential voices have come out of British Columbia. BC has probably produced more apostolic leaders and more prophetic leaders and more uh, nationwide and worldwide leaders than any other province in Canada. And if you actually realize that, but Canada, BC has actually produced, is, has a habit of birthing uh, uh, worldwide leaders. But unfortunately, uh, some of these worldwide leaders have, have fallen, you know, and, and as a lot of them come up and a lot of them have fallen. You know, and I really believe there's actually an assignment over this province, both from God and from the enemy, to actually, uh, it's got to build up and for the enemy to actually destroy. And there's, I believe, the same reason why East Hastings happens to be here in, in, uh, in Vancouver as well, in British Columbia. There's something so prophetic over this land that there's a war happening in the spirit. But here's the great news. We actually win. No, we win. You know, I'm so sick and tired of, I travel all around the world preaching the gospel. You know, and I hear people all the time, well, that devil, you know, and they start glorifying the devil so much. And I, I, and I, just, I have this hard time because my Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he inside of me than he that is in the world. You know, so I actually always say this, that I, I John Laframboise or John Raz, you know, I don't have a demon problem. I don't. Demons have a John problem. Right? It all comes down to this mindset that we have, you know, and I really believe as I was praying for this trip and praying about Sunday morning here, and I really felt God saying this, that he's actually uh, restoring hope back into the church. He's restoring hope back into the church, and here's the best definition of hope I could find. It's the joyous expectation of what God is going to do. The joyous expectation of what God is going to do. But here's the problem that we uh, that, that's occurred over the last few years or whatever it is in, in the body of Christ at large is we've given up hope. We've actually chosen to let go of our hope. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says this. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. So the only reason why we get hope deferred is because we choose to let go of our hope. The devil can't take away your hope. 
The devil can't actually take away anything that you own. But we can actually give up something and let go of it and actually give it over to the devil. And that's where he finds authority. The devil's got zero authority. The only authority the enemy has is the authority that we choose and give over to him. That's the only authority he has. That's the only way we're able to see darkness come into this world is because the church somehow, somewhere has actually let go of his authority or never claimed it in the first place. That's the only authority the devil has. And, and throughout this process, I really believe that God actually is going to start reigniting hope within our hearts, bringing back that joyous expectation of something happening. You know, I have even coming to this trip, I had people ask me, saying, well, why are you going down to East Hastings? There's so many people doing stuff there already. I said, praise God, I'm not coming to reinvent the wheel. I'm coming to supply something else. I'm coming to bring more behind it. You know, yes, it's just because one person, two people, three people, a group of people may already be doing something and, and having a, its effectiveness within its own sphere doesn't mean that I can't rise up as a child of God and start bringing the element that God's called me to bring. Yeah. doesn't matter how small you feel your contribution can be, that contribution can still change your life. See, I believe that one of the issues we've had in the body of Christ where hope has begun to, uh, we've allowed the hope to downward spiral, if you would, is because of this. We found our identity in the doing versus the being. I'm as happy flipping burgers for Jesus as I am preaching the gospel. I remember when I was younger, I used to be, a, a, as Kevin said, a fresh fire associate. You know, and I, I think I was probably... Like I said, I was full, more full of zeal and passion than I was of wisdom and Holy Spirit. You know, and in the midst of all of that, in the midst of that season, you know, God opened up great doors of opportunity. But at the same time, I didn't have the character to steward those doors. I didn't have the, uh, the fortitude within myself. I didn't have the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, if you would. I didn't have the character that it was required to steward set doors. And I started finding my identity in the doing. I started finding my identity because I was preaching in front of thousands of people. I was preaching in crusades of thousands of people. I started finding my identity in the miracles, in the words of knowledge. I started finding my identity in what I was able to do through Jesus over who I was with Jesus. So in the midst of all that, hope starts getting deferred. You know, Kevin will test to it. I would come to his house so frustrated like there's no tomorrow. Kevin just jokes around saying <laughs> that day, I taught them how to be parents. <laughs> Perfectly true. <laughs> so many good memories. <laughs> you know, God bless them. Now, they could put up with me, they could put up with anyone. You know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> such good food. My goodness, it was great. Seriously, if, if you know single people, especially single guys, bring them over, feed them. They need it. I had a rotation of families I'd go through. I had revolving doors of family. I call one, they're busy. I call another one, call another one, call another one. It was great. You know? <laughs> you know so we got to come, you know, it's bunny trailing big time here. You know, so we got to come back to the place of finding our identity in Jesus that actually begins to unlock who we are. Because it's not about the destination, it's really about the journey with God. So many times we wonder, we have all these prophetic promises sitting over our lives. We wonder, God, when are you going to bring the fulfillment? How many of you have had that prayer before out of frustration? I mean, I've probably cried more prayers and screamed more times at God, and to be perfectly honest with you, once or twice I may have cussed. I know. It's okay. It's all under the blood. <laughs> if it's in your heart, you might as well say it. That was... Yeah. <laughs> Just think about that. God already knows what you want to say. 
There's actually, I believe there's actually a moment of intimacy with God when you actually feel so free in Jesus that you actually say what you actually want to say. God already knows what's in your heart. Might as well just say it. I'm not saying start cussing people out. That's not what I'm saying. Right? But out of frustration, right? Just, you know, these prayers. And, and we come to this place, you know, where I was so frustrated because I was seeking after the fulfillment versus actually seeking after the journey that God wanted to take me through in this process. You remember when, how uh, uh, Israel goes through the wilderness you know, God tells Moses, I tell Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And oftentimes we actually read that story and remember the story this way. Let my people go that I may bring them into the promised land. That's actually not what Moses told Pharaoh at all. Seven times Moses tells Pharaoh, he says, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. See, God was all about the process. God was all about the process of getting Egypt out of them and, and developing their heart to able to come into their promise so that they would find their identity in God and their creator over finding their identity as slaves. See, I believe the body of Christ right now is going through a season where God is actually wiping out a slavic mindset out of our hearts. It's wiping out and healing an orphan mindset where we're more focused about the destination than we are about the journey together with Holy Spirit. Some of your most intimate moments you will ever have with God will be in the wilderness as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, if you look at Psalms 23, you know, David, he starts talking about, yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Some of us, we make camp. No, we don't make a camp next to the burning bush. We make camp next to the dying bush. Well, this seems prophetically familiar. Moses had a bush, but... His was on fire. Maybe this one will have flame eventually. Shakarabarababa. You know, I was talking with one, you know, I hear this happen quite often. He goes, well, bless God, brother. I've been walking through the wilderness for 40 years now. Well, repent. <laughs> the reason why we walk through these wildernesses, we walk through these dry seasons or whatever it is, you know, is actually, you know, to produce something on the inside of us. Romans chapter 5 in verse, uh, in verse 2, you know, Paul says, that he says, I glory in tribulation. I hate that verse. Can I just be honest with you guys? I hate, I hate that verse. You know, I wish I could just take a sharpie and just whoop, block it out. You know, but I haven't. <laughs> and I don't think I will, but I really want to. There's moments of hardship in my life, and I'm like, just want to scratch that right out, rip the whole page right out. You know, he says, but I glory in tribulation. And this is why. He says, I know tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, God is about the process. He actually brings us through what seems like difficult times in order to bring us, maybe we call it wilderness, maybe we call it the desert place, whatever it is, however you, whatever your vernacular puts it as. He brings us through those hard times because he's trying to produce relationship inside of you. He's trying to produce a dependency upon him. Actually, there's actually a process where the desert moments can actually be some of the most marvelous moments you'll ever have in your life. You know, you read in, uh, uh, in Psalms um, 107. Uh, no, sorry. Not Psalms 107. You'll, oh, look at my, I'm on the wrong notes. Hold on a second. All right. Psalms 105. You know, where it says that there was a, was a single one feeble amongst them. That's referring to Israel coming out of Egypt. You know, so they have the Passover dinner, and it says there wasn't a single one feeble amongst them. So if you had cancer, you got healed of your cancer. You were missing an eye, your eye regrew. You had a club foot, your foot got unclubbed. You know, whatever. You have stripes on your back from the whips, your scars would actually disappear. I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? 
But so they have, they have a healing revival. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good moment of awesomeness with God, right? And then you see in Psalm, or sorry, not Psalms, but Exodus 12, 35 and 36, it says they plundered the Egyptians. It says they took all their silver, all their gold, and all their fine linens. They went from slaves to multi-millionaires in 2.5 seconds. I mean, Wall Street can't even produce that kind of wealth. Right? They went from like, absolute poverty to absolute richness. Right? So every time you'll see, this is the point I'm trying to make. Every time you go through what might seem like a dry season, you can always look back and you will always find moments of breakthrough beforehand meant to sustain you in the dryness. But Israel forgot. They forgot the glory of God. They forgot the goodness of God. And even in the midst of wilderness, they have amazing, remarkable signs and wonders. Manna coming down from heaven. That's pretty cool. But yet, they complain. In fact, they complain in Numbers 11. He said they complained so much about eating manna. They said you know, that we just want some meat. And actually, in Numbers 11, it says, you will have a fast and you will eat meat. Not for one day, not for two days, but for 30 days until it comes out of your nostrils. That's actually the wording it uses. Now, as a meditarian, I'm like, praise God. That's the type of fast I want to do. <laughs> Bring me to the all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse. I'll camp out there for days. <laughs> yeah, I walk through the valley of goodness. I will fear no steak. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So every time you go through these wildernesses, remember what God has done for you before you went in. Something powerful happens. There's something remarkable that happens inside of us. You know, in the midst of that too, it says that the Moses, you know, speaks to the rock and he also smacks a rock with a stick. You know, and says water gushed out. Think about that. They had a few million people. Do you ever? Th- I, always, I always thought of it like just a little trickle came out of the rock. But think about that. They had a few million people plus their livestock. Now, you imagine how much water would have to come out of that rock? Can you imagine that Moses going, "Excuse me, everyone, I'm going to speak to this rock or smack it the second time, but I'm going to." Do something really awesome to this rock, and water's going to come out. So can we get from about a mile south of here, everyone move off to the left? Because if you go to the right, you'll be separated from your families. Because who knows how wide this thing is going to be? If you think about that for a second. Right? And of course, they see this, the Red Sea parting, and all these amazing signs and wonders begin to take place. But in the end, they forgot the Lord their God. They were more concerned about their hardship. But yet, their clothes never wears out. You just think about that. You know, they, had, they stole all their fine linens, so they were wearing like the Armani suits of their time. I don't know about you. you know, if someone blesses me with Armani, I don't want that sucker wearing out. Someone gives me Italian leather shoes, and I don't want those things wearing out. You know, you're trying to buy a piece of clothing. I'm like, God, let this last 20, 40, 50 years. Let it stretch with my waist. Let it shrink with my waist. <laughs> I've gotten rid of more wardrobes than I could care to count. My, my waist legs like a balloon, just... Especially when you're single, you know. Oh, Holy Spirit, turn my water into wine. Still working on that one. But I believe God, and this is the purpose why I believe God wants to restore hope within us so that we can become the fearless generation that God's called us to be so that we can go actually go out into the world and be the light to the world. See, there's this problem that in the midst of having this hope being deferred, we lose our joy, we lose our excitement, we lose our expectation, and we start operating under fear. And we start operating under fear. We literally position ourselves in the same standing as the devil. So it says, it talks about, in Matthew, it says, those who actually lose their saltiness, those who, those who lose their flavor are no good but be trampled underfoot. Where's the devil called? Who are we called to trample underfoot? 
We're called to trample the devil underfoot. So when we operate under fear, we operate at a place outside of our identity with God. We start operating under fear. We literally are allowing ourselves to be trampled underfoot by the enemy. See, we need to come back to this place where we understand our identity, which is this. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 says this. He says, it talks about the richness of the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, you can, you can reword the verse this way. It's the glorious manifestation of the glory of... It's, or sorry, the, the, the manifest... Of, I'm getting so excited right now. It's the joyous expectation of the manifestation of the glory of God in you wherever you go. Do you know wherever you go, demons just start quaking and being afraid? I've seen more, I've seen more revivals at airports and restaurants and, 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 and gyms. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it looking at me, but I do sometimes go to the gym. You know, I've seen more revival outside the four walls of the church than I have inside the church. It's, a, it's remarkable what you'll actually see. You know, I love uh, traveling all over the place, you know, and, and normally, you know, when I'm on a longer flight, you know, I just, I, I, uh, I just love preaching in planes because people can't go anywhere. I'll purposely sit on the aisle seat so people can't get leave. You know, and, uh, and, and I'm very extroverted, so I love talking to people. You know, unless I'm tired, then I'm like, just say, yeah, give me some Netflix and I'm good. But, but you know, so I'll sit in the aisle seat. I remember one time, was, uh, the flight attendant walks by giving our drinks. But before we got our drinks, there was, there was me, an empty seat, and a guy next to me. You know, I started prophesying to him, I, and I started giving him words of knowledge about a lung condition that he has. And long story short, we pray for him, he gets healed, and he gives his life to Jesus. Which is really awesome. You know, and then, this is great. The, the flight attendant goes by to give drinks, you know, and she locks the cart in place, you know. And before she gets a chance to ask me what kind of drink I want, right, I, just, I just blurt it out of my mouth. I just scream at her. Yeah, in the plane. It, it, it echoed. It reverberated through the whole plane, right. I just, and I, this is what I tell her. I said, by the time you get home tonight, your daughter will be out of the hospital and doing well. And I go, and she goes, ah! She runs to the front of the plane. So my friend who just got saved says, thanks, John, you couldn't wait for me to get my drink. So I just open the drawer, pull out a drink. It's like, hey, do you want a Coke? You know? And the cart's just sitting there, so I'm just serving drinks to everyone. I thought, God, this is great. I give spiritual drink and I give natural refreshment too. This is fantastic. You know? So I just open the drawers, you know, and start handing off pop to everyone and some cookies and all that stuff. And then another flight attendant comes by. You know, and, and leans down and whispers in my ear and says, I hear the Lord speaks to you. I go, yeah, he does. Well, what does he say about me? So, so long story short, we lead this individual to the Lord, this backslidden Christian, we lead him back to Jesus. You know, and then uh, one flight attendant after another all come and you all receive Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. So the amazing thing that happens when you just have that joyous expectation of God moving. When you have that joyous expectation knowing that just because you're there, the room gets a little bit brighter. Just because you're there, power begins to fill the atmosphere simply by your presence. It's a remarkable thing which, what could take place if you just dare to believe and partner together with God. Remember where he's been in your life, what he's done for you in the past, and allow that faith to resurge on the inside of you and start being the light in the midst of darkness. See, oftentimes people will tell me this. So, John, you know, I'm just not bold as you are. I, I, I'm not an extrovert. I'm, I'm an introvert. Listen. <laughs> Introvertedness has nothing to do with being shy. 
This is a true definition of introvert versus extrovert. An introvert gets recharged by being alone. An extrovert gets recharged by being around people. Has nothing to do with being outgoing, has nothing to do with being bold, it has nothing to do with being a people person or not. My wife is the most introverted person you'll ever meet, but yet she's perfectly functionally, socially functioning, while she will witness and prophesy to people as well. And this is, what, this is where your boldness comes from. Your boldness does not come from your personality. Your boldness comes from your identity in Christ. See, your personality is, is formed by your atmosphere growing up. It's formed by how your parents raised you. It's formed by what your teachers tell you. It's partially, very small, partially part of your DNA. But the majority of it is actually formed by your upbringing, the environment, whether you're nurtured or not. That's where your personality comes from. It comes from your environment. But your identity comes from within. Your identity is who Jesus says you are. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. So you know, we all know that we're not righteous upon our own merits. It's an inheritance that we have as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. But then Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous are as bold as a lion and the wicked flee when no one even pursues. Isn't that amazing? So just the fact that you are the righteousness of God means that you have an inheritance into boldness. Now your manifestation of boldness could look much different from my manifestation of boldness. But in the end, it all pretty clearly and, and, and boldly presents Jesus as a loving Savior who he, that he is. Our boldness should gladly take opportunity to share Jesus. Create opportunity to shine light everywhere you go. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how introverted you are. What it does matter is how much do you believe your identity? See, one of my spiritual fathers will say this. He says that your own carnality is a sign. He says your own timidity is a sign of your own carnality. Because the righteous are as bold as a lion. But the wicked flee when no one pursues. See, in the midst when we have hope deferred, we actually lose a part of our identity. Because our identity is found in hope. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we're living in the fullness of hope, we actually allow our identity to be revived on the inside of us. When we live with that joyous expectation of what God is going to do. So I have so much hope, I have so much expectation for God to do something in these tastings. I have so much expectation and hope that everywhere I go, I expect people to get saved simply because I am there and I carry Jesus. And I love preaching everywhere I go. You know, not a few years ago, I was in a grocery store, and this is back when I was single. And uh, I, I would play these games. I call it Revival with Jesus. Yeah, I wasn't very creative. And I would grocery shop with Jesus because if I didn't, like, focus on Jesus, I would end up buying, like, 50 Hungry Man dinners. You know what I'm talking about? The Salisbury steaks look, like, delicious on the package, but they're like hockey pucks. And no matter how much you microwave those stupid things, there's always ice chips in the potatoes. <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been there before, right? Everything else is burnt. Come on now. Everything else is burnt, but there's ice in the potatoes. I tried piercing the plastic at different strategic places. Plastic on, plastic off. Peel one corner, peel the other corner. Peel the corner halfway through the microwaving. Man, I tried getting scientific with it. You can't. They're permafrozen. They're like frostbitten potatoes. <laughs> Birthed at Mount Everest. <laughs> Anyways, so I was in this grocery store and I started, and I just started asking God, like, God, hey, like, 
I was feeling the Holy Spirit move, and I was like, God, I just want to create an opportunity for you to move and, and something to happen. And I remember I saw this woman, I was walking with my grocery cart, and this woman was walking the opposite direction towards me. You know, and the Holy Spirit just whispers to me and says, she was in a car accident, and she hurt her neck. She's got whiplash in her neck, and I want you to pray for her. So I just stopped her and said, ma'am, I said, this is just how I, I do things. I just cut through all the, the fluff, all the small talk, and I go straight to the matter of things. I said, ma'am, I said, this might seem like a really weird random question. Can I ask you a weird random question? She goes, oh, okay. I said, I'm warning you right now. This is going to seem strange. I'm French. That's okay. And somehow that almost gives me grace to be weird. <laughs> and uh, so I asked her, I said, hey, were you in a car accident a few years ago and hurt your neck? She goes, yeah, actually, yeah, I did. I said, this might seem even weirder now. Can I pray for you? Because if I do, Jesus is going to heal you. She goes, okay. So we pray for her. She ends up getting healed, you know, and, and it was awesome. And then another woman walks by, and she's got this brace on her wrist. And she stops this woman. She says, hey, you have to let this guy pray for you, because if he prays for you, Jesus is going to heal you. She goes, okay. So I pray for her wrist. You know, her wrist gets healed, and she takes it off. And all of a sudden, next thing I notice, there's like 30, 40 people around me. Right? And, and I don't know if this is prophetic or not, but I was next to the Fruit Loops. You know, and, and then, and then, and then there's like people who are getting healed, people are praying for people, people who have just gotten saved are praying for other people, and people who are getting healed. You know, it's absolutely phenomenal what was taking place. And then the assistant manager of the grocery store comes by, you know, and says, hey, what's going on here? And everyone's like staring and saying, this guy's praying for us, and people are getting healed, and da 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 And he looks at me and he says, don't move. And I had like shopping carts all around me, so I'm like in shopping cart prison. <laughs> you know, I thought like, I'm not going anywhere, even if I wanted to, like, you know. You know, I'm just gonna hang out with the Fruit Loops here. And, you know, and then uh, you know, he looks at me again, he says, don't move. And then he runs down the aisle, you know, hangs a left, and then maybe a minute or two later, I hear over the intercom, healing prayers offered in aisle four. Healing prayers, aisle four. It was awesome. Revival in the grocery store. Now the question is, can we just dare to believe? Can we just dare to be uniquely yourself, be uniquely identifying as yourself, and find your unique evangelistic expression no matter what it looks like? Maybe you're saying, well, John, I don't get excited about revival in grocery stores, but where do you get excited about revival then? Where is it that you find excitement knowing how awesome would it be if everyone in this sphere right now would just turn their lives to Jesus because I start shining my light? Because I just lift up Jesus, and he begins to draw people to himself. Now, I just like having revival everywhere I go. I live in the trains, planes, automobiles. I remember, you guys like stories? Yeah. Can I share a couple? Is that okay? And we'll pray for some people here in a moment. I just like sharing stories because it just stirs, I find it stirs people to jealousy. I find it stirs something, a holy jealousy inside of me. You know, like, I'm naturally competitive. I, I seriously almost need a sozo for how competitive I can be. But I've managed to turn that over into like a Holy Spirit competitiveness, where I celebrate someone's victory, I celebrate others' ministries, and I look at that and I say, okay, God, if you could do it for that person, you could surely do it with me. If you could do it with that person, you could surely do this with me. And if God could do it with me, he could definitely do it with you. You know, there's no questions asked there. I remember I was in England uh, a couple years ago, and uh, uh, flying into, uh, into London Heathrow. You don't have to take a train all the way to the north end of England and, and the Penrith area, if you're familiar with the geography of England. And uh, when I, as soon as I, I land, uh, as soon as I, sorry, I get off the train and I got picked up by my friend, we go to his place, the Holy Spirit whispers in my ear, says, John, go to the local pub and pray for the bartender. So I was like, okay. You want me to go to a bar? 
And the Holy Spirit said, no, at the pub. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know what the difference is. So I tell my friend, you know, and well, I tell my friend, I was like, hey, I said, the Holy Spirit just told me that we have to go to the local pub and go pray for, uh, pray for the bartender. So we turn around, we go to the pub, you know, and I, and I see there's a, a gentleman behind the bar. And as soon as I walk in, you know, I was like, hey, how's it going? I said, what happened to your arm? That's my introduction to him. Hey, how's it going? What happened to your arm? And he says, what? What do you mean what happened to my arm? I said, you injured your arm somehow. How did you hurt it? He goes, well, I was playing golf and I tore a bunch of ligaments in my arm. He says, the pain is so bad, I can't even pick up a tray with one single drink on it. So I'm just relegated to be, stay behind the bar and just pour drinks. So I said, well, give me your arm. We pray for him. And God completely heals his arm. It was amazing. I'll never forget this. His name was, uh, his name was uh, Henry. And then Henry walks to the back of the kitchen. He tells his manager about it. His manager's name was Samuel. Samuel comes to the front, doubtful as doubtful can be. This, you'll love this. This is awesome. Just absolutely doubtful. And he goes, well, Henry told me what you're able to do with the power of suggestion. <laughs> I was like, come on. I'm not that smart. You know, and... Uh, you know, so, we, uh, so I, was, and I started we asking the Holy Spirit, God, like, what can I say to this individual? What do you have for Samuel? You know, and all of a sudden I just opened my mouth and start, start, stuff starts coming out, and I hope it's true. You ever been there? You start prophesying, you're like, I really hope this is Jesus, because I'm really putting myself out there right now. You know, and I said, Samuel, said, you're trying to buy a house right now, aren't you? He goes, yeah. I said, and the paperwork is being held up by the lawyers, isn't it? He goes, uh-huh. I said, and you're worried that this paper, the paperwork being held up is going to inquire, inquire, incur a lot of lawyer fees and it'll actually push the price point way up beyond what you can afford. And he goes, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. But I said, now how we know he's, I got his attention now. So I tell him, I said, and all of a sudden this was just sort of blurting out of my mouth and I was like, God, please let this be true. You know, this just prophetic honest moment now, right? You prophesy something, you're like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. And I said, Samuel, I says, within 24 hours, you're going to get a phone call from those lawyers, and they're going to tell you, apologize for having the paperwork being held up, they're going to expedite the paperwork, and they're going to waive their lawyer fees. So he says, well, if that happens, then I'll really believe. So I said, well, so you better get ready to believe. And I walk away in panic, tongue, shut up, you know? <laughs> you know, so I go away uh, uh, another city for a few days, and I come back maybe uh, three or four days later. And I, as soon as I walk into the bar, I see a girl behind the bar, behind the bar, you know, and the Holy Spirit whispers it to me. She says, she's the owner's daughter. So I said, hey, how's it going? She goes, good. I said, you're the owner's daughter, aren't you? She goes, oh my gosh, it's happening already. <laughs> I was like, pardon me? She says, you're John Raz, right? <laughs> How did you know? I'm like, what? I'm like, is she prophetic too? Right? And she says, oh, oh, she says, Henry and Samuel told me all about you. And he said, well, this, this French-Canadian guy came and, and did all these things. And, and, and long story short, you know, she, and I figured out who you were. You know, so he started prophesying to her. You know, and then she says, she says, you're not going to believe what happened to Samuel. I said, well, let me guess. You got a phone call. She says, yeah, he got a phone call that very next morning. And he says, the lawyers told him exactly what you said they would say. I said, oh, is Samuel here? She goes, yeah, he was. But he saw you walking in. He got so scared, he ran out back. So that night, we ended up prophesying to a bunch of the entire staff. We prophesied over the entire uh, wait staff at the bar. You know, and then they asked me, the owner's daughter asked me, says, John, can you come back and do this again? But can we advertise it? And I was like, absolutely you can. 
I said, hands down, you can. So we come back, we scheduled it for about a week out, because I had to go to Scotland and, and, and a couple other places in the UK to, uh, to preach. And a week later, I come back, and as soon as I walk into this pub, I see on the, on the, uh, the chalkboard, free spiritual readings and free miracles, ask at the bar. And I was like, this is awesome. It's like, praise God. So I go in there, right? And they're all happy to greet me, you know? So they set me up, you know, they, they serve me dinner. So it's great. So I'm eating my duck dinner. This is great. You know, and people are lining up. They're like, are you the um, uh, miracle guy? And they go, well, Jesus is the miracle guy, but yeah, I, I pray for people. So I start getting words of knowledge for people, start praying for people. As I'm eating, there's potatoes and duck in my mouth, you know? And I got like, like my knife and I'm pointing and there's potatoes flying all over the place. So undignified and unrefined. And... You know, and then I realized that there's bodies just laying across this pub floor. People are getting slain in the spirit, and people are praying in tongues, and I'm like, Jesus, you are so good. And then the owner comes by. He doesn't look very happy with me. So this owner comes by, and he says, are you John? I go, yeah, I'm John. He goes, you know who I am? I says, you're probably the owner. He goes, yes, I am, because I'm not very happy with you right now. And I go, yeah, why is that? He says, well, look what you're doing to my bar. He says, people who are on the floor can't buy drinks. We start prophesying to him. Start giving him words of knowledge. And he gets so touched, he gives his life to Jesus. And then he repents. And he says, John, next time you come to my country, he says, I want you to come to my pub and I want you to do one of your conferences here. He says, and all your guests will get free drinks. I said, listen, my guests already do get free drinks. Look at them. (laughs) So the question is now, what can you believe for? What can you get excited over? Where can you have hope? Now, what can you do together with Holy Spirit in partnership where you start worrying about the destination, you start worrying about the journey? Well, not that we worry, but you start focusing on the journey that you have together with Jesus. Because God's got this process. He's got a journey he wants to take you through. God values relationship more than he values prophetic destiny. God values your relationship together with him more than he values your destiny. He values a relationship above all else. And just like a good father, he will actually pull things away from us that cause us harm. The same way how I used to actually find my identity in ministry. And I had a schedule booked out like crazy, you know, and then and, and, uh, and within a two-week period, you know, I had my schedule planned out for nine months ahead of time. I had financial partners. Everything just was, was running great. Like I was, everything was running fantastic. And within a two-week period, each one of those pastors I had booked up for nine months called me and canceled. Everyone who's interested in having me in called me in and says, yeah, we don't want anything to do with you. And all my financial partners just balked out. All of them just dropped within a two-week period. And this is why. This has nothing. Yes, I was associated with Fresh Fire. Some people say it was because of what Todd did and, and whatever else. And I say, no, whatever Todd did is separate from whatever happened in my life and my ministry. I said, I don't blame him for a single thing that happened to me. I love him and I cherish him. You know, I will always honor and respect him for what he's offered to me and what he's trained me in. And everyone's... Everyone has their flaws, everyone has their shortcomings, but thank God for restoration and repentance, amen? You know, and in the midst of all this process, you know, one thing I've realized in the midst of, like, now hindsight being 2020, 2020, looking back at it, I realized this, because I found my identity in what I was doing versus who I was, God being a loving father, gave, he warned me and did whatever he could, but I refused to listen time and time again. Don even, in fact, had a dream warning me about it, and I refused that dream. Since then, I've repented to her and for not heeding the word. 
You know, <laughs> oh, every time I think about it, it's like, Jesus, I should have I listened to her. should have listened. My pride just did not allow me to listen to the warnings, heed the warnings that I was getting time and time again. But because of God being a good father, valuing relationship and where I was going spiritually over where I was going in the natural, so again, to pull things away for my own safety and my own benefit. So I, I had a self-induced wilderness, if you would. In the midst of it all, the only thing that God was looking for was for me to have a course correction within my heart where I started looking and valuing my relationship with him more than I was valuing the ministry. Where I started praying just to get words of knowledge, started reading the word just to get messages, made an idol of the very thing that I was called to. In the midst of that, lost hope. I thank God for restoration. Can we get the band back up? Or even just keyboard, guitar, or something. So I really believe God actually wants to reignite hope on the inside of us. He wants to reignite hope, reignite those prophetic journeys, those prophetic destinies that we have, but not at the sacrifice of the identity that we find in Jesus. I believe the primary thing God is actually wanting us to do in this season is actually come back to that place of identity. I really believe that this is where we're at. Like in Luke chapter, sorry, in, in, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 10, 17, 18, and 19. You'll re- actually, I'm going to read this to you. I quoted a lot of verse. I didn't necessarily read any to you. So people accuse me all the time. Like, John, you didn't open your Bible. Yeah, but I quoted a lot of verses to you. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Then he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So think about this for a second. The disciples, 70s, they come back. Jesus, we did so many amazing things in your name. We cast out demons, we healed the sick, we saw people get saved. And then Jesus just one-ups them. You know, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In other words, he's saying, that's actually nothing. What you've done is, is it's amazing, it's great, it's fantastic, but in the end, it's actually nothing compared to your identity that you have in Jesus. So we need to be able to rejoice more in who we are in Christ over what we can do in Christ. See, because when we, when we have an identity in Jesus, when we rejoice more, we find a fulfillment in the intimacy with God. Everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes secondary. See, some of us, we find our identity in our job. We find our identity in our family. We find our identity in our destiny, in our ministries, or whatever it is, which those are all great things, but they're not worthy of your identity. They're not worthy of your identity. As much as I love my wife, she's not worthy of my identity. Yes, part, my subcategory, if you would, as identity is that of a husband. But it's not my identity. It's a title that I carry, yes, a title that I'm very proudly carrying. You know, and when we have kids, I'll gladly carry the title of father. But it's not my identity. Our identity can only be found in Jesus. 
rejoice more over the fact your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when we start doing that, everything else kind of comes in line. And all of a sudden, now the harvest becomes a joy. The harvest becomes a joy because it becomes easy for us. Because we find our identity in Jesus. And we don't, we don't succumb to pressure. We don't succumb to, I have to perform. We don't succumb to, I need a testimony. It comes down to, I just love Jesus and I want to love others well. It becomes so easy. Harvest is easy when you love Jesus. It has nothing to do with your calling. I hear people say this all the time. Well, John, I'm, I'm just not called to be an evangelist. Well, that's great. Who cares if you're not called to be an evangelist? Saying that you're not called to evangelize because you're not an evangelist is like saying I'm not called to love the church because I'm not a pastor. Come on. We need to come back to a place of love. That first love. Come back to a place of intimate identity with Jesus. And out of that place of intimate identity, we allow the world to look into the intimacy that we have with Jesus. It becomes easy now just to have the Holy Spirit ooze out of you. Where it's not a method, it's not a style, it's an identity. Well, John, I'm not an evangelist. Great. But love people. Love on them. Seek opportunity. You'll be surprised what happens when you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit to a place of sonship, a place of identity. You start opening your mouth and amazing things start coming out. You know, this whole idea, you know, you know that the devil can't create anything. You know that? You know, pretty foundational stuff. The devil can't create anything. He can't even create, have the inception of a creative idea. But the only thing the devil can do is copycat what God does. So I'm going to say a controversial statement. That please hear me out before you start tweeting me and calling me a heretic and put your stones down. Possession is a Holy Spirit concept. Now, demonic possession isn't. But the idea of possession is not created by the devil. So it says in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon the prophets, this is what it literally means in the Hebrew, that the Holy Spirit put them on like a glove. So when you have a glove on, whatever you do, that glove does. So when you put on a glove, you possess your glove. So when Holy Spirit puts you on like a glove, Holy Spirit possesses you. And now we have this negative connotation with the word possession. But think about it for a second. We come back to a place of identity and sonship with Jesus. We're so focused on who we are in Christ versus what we can do. We allow Holy Spirit to put us on. All of a sudden you start saying stuff you didn't realize you knew. You start prophesying to people that you didn't realize you could. You start winning souls to Jesus. You start just being a light in the midst of darkness. And also the hope gets restored on the inside of us. That joyous expectation of what God can do. Listen, I've had God move in places that is not socially acceptable for God to move. I've had revival in terminals and airports. I've missed flights because I'm having a healing line in the airport. There's times where you know, oftentimes we ask ourselves, well, what if nothing happens? I hate that question. It's a question of doubt. I start asking myself this question. What if something does happen? You know, do I have time to have revival? And can I miss the first session of the conference? Can I miss my flight? It's another flight that can take a few hours later and still make it on time. Or do I just call the pastor now and cancel my first night? 
because God's moving in the airport. So where can you get excited about revival? How can you come back to the place of hope? Just come back to Jesus. Father, I thank you for your goodness here in this place, for your goodness in our lives, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for those who are walking through the wilderness season. I thank you you bring back to your memory, Lord, the areas of breakthrough. You bring back to your remembrance, Lord, the areas where they've seen you move with the supernatural. They've seen you move with your love, God, where you're supposed to bring those back in the memory. We're going to stir in that hope. We're going to stir in that faith once again, Lord, that joyous expectation of what you're going to do. This is what I really believe God wants to do in this season in the body of Christ. Not just heal people physically, but I believe he wants to heal people emotionally as well. You know, in 3 John 2, it says this. It says, Beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. Your emotional well-being is highly tied to your finances and to your healing. There's a reason why Holy Spirit's called the Comforter. some of us, we actually believe lies of the enemy. Those lies are actually keeping us bound. So I want to encourage you to ask God this question. What lies am I believing? What lies do I believe about myself? And what lies am I believing about you? And then ask him, now what does your truth say about them? Well, John, I don't believe any lies. Well, there's one right there. 